I, d I do need to watch more Wes Craven films because I've seen I've only seen three and one of them fucking sucks. What's the one that sucks? Oh, Swamp Thing. Okay, and the other two are Nightmare and... I want to see if you can guess. The People Under the Stairs. Nailed it. Yes! Hello, and welcome to The Sunday Presents with me, Dean Buckley. And me, Kara Maloney. The Sunday is a website where we write about film and TV and music and so forth. By and so forth, I mean nothing at all. Only those three things. <laughs> yeah, even the one time I wrote about a play, it was a musical. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, now I have to do, do the podcast bit. And this is a podcast where we take turns showing each other favorite films of ours that the other hasn't seen before. I premise that we will stretch, but never break. Speaking well, of stretching I mean, the premise. Don't, don't, uh. Don't make promises never, we can't yeah, keep. Never say never. <laughs> is, are we stretching the premise today? I didn't think we were. Well, I would consider it stretching the premise because while this was a favorite film of mine when I was young, I have not seen it in, in well over, like, 14 years or something like that, that counts that counts and i had no idea going in whether i was going to even like it anymore <laughs> zero idea uh, i will keep i will keep the conclusion of that mystery a secret for now mystery uh and what what is that film dean which you had not seen in 14 years and i had never seen it's the born identity starring matt what? damon not the 1988 miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain, but the... And not the uh, porn parody, The Porn Identity. Yeah, they really just laid that one, just set that up to knock down, you know? Like, just like, <laughs> no effort whatsoever needed. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit about The Porn Identity? The Porn Identity, uh, which came out in 2002, I believe, and is shockingly directed by Doug Lyman. <laughs> yes. I, Doug Lyman's name didn't come up until the very end, and I nearly fell out of my chair because I was 100,000% convinced. Like, I was just like, I know, not I think, I know this film was directed by Paul Greengrass. And then yeah. when Doug Lyman's name came up, I felt like I was insane. <laughs> and, and like, that I'd gotten Mandela affected. And then, luckily... I looked it up and Paul Greengrass did direct the sequels, The Born Supremacy and The Born Ultimatum. So it wasn't yeah. just that I have a brain injury. <laughs> no, the most famous and uh, financially successful entries in the series were directed by Paul Greengrass, by which I mean Supremacy Ultimatum and Jason Bourne. Was that you... successful? I think it was reasonably successful. Okay. I I'm not going to check, though. <laughs> he didn't direct... The Bourne Legacy that was directed by Tony Gilroy, who has a writing credit on every every film in the series. So yeah, so the arc of the series is this: the Bourne Identity in two thousand and two, mm -hmm. and then there's the Bourne Supremacy and the Bourne Ultimatum, which are like a trilogy. Yeah, and then there's the Bourne Legacy, which does not feature Jason Bourne. <laughs> no, and which everyone hated, is my understanding. I think it um, got good reviews, and everyone hated it. You know. Like, yeah, well, you know, everyone hated it. This is an important thing. It's mm. like the last Jedi of its time. <laughs> um, and and then they brought Matt Damon back for Jason Bourne, which, firstly, bad title. Mm. 
Secondly, it's, I didn't watch it, so I have no opinion. Yeah, uh, neither of us has seen Legacy or Jason Bourne. Um, uh, I did watch The Bourne Identity and The Bourne Supremacy and The Bourne Ultimatum. I also watched all three. So there you go. Yeah, we will, we will discuss the <laughs> Paul Greengrass of it all much later on. For now, though, uh, why don't you walk us through the film that started it all? I will. The, the Born Identity. Oh, also it's adapted from a famous book, but who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> I do have something to say about the book later on, but very little. Okay. We'll look forward to that, everyone. <clears throat> um, so, Italian fishermen find a man in the sea, and he has gunshot wounds in his back, and like a little, a little laser projector with mm-hmm. the number of a Swiss bank account lodged in his hip, and he does not remember anything. Well, that's not true. He remembers skills, like he can read, and like general information about the world. Like I'm pretty sure he knows what countries are, for example, but he doesn't remember anything about his life. Yeah, he has no autobiographical memory. Exactly. He doesn't know his name, anything. And just for clarity's sake, even though he won't find this out for a little bit, this man is Jason Bourne, and I will refer to him as such. Although, is he? What? Uh, whatever. <laughs> and he's played by Matt Damon. So, you know, see also the Sunday Presents episode five, Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> and, uh, Absolutely. He goes to Zurich, to the bank, since it's the only clue he has to who he is. And he gets access to a safety deposit box. And in that safety deposit box, there is a bunch of money, a gun, and a load of passports, all of them with Jason's face on them but different names, different nationalities. And one of them is Jason Bourne. Yeah, when he opens the box, the first tray on the top has, you know, just scattered whatever. And then the Jason Bourne passport. And then he lifts it up and it's just like millions in in all these different currencies and a big stack, a fat stack of passports, including, I just wanted to note this, what I found interesting. His Brazilian passport says he's a consul general. So, like, one of his undercover identities is, like, a, st- a U.S. State Department official. Or Brazilian State Department official? I don't know. But I just thought that was interesting. So, because he's come here, they know he's alive. And they know where he is. Uh, they, being the CIA Black Ops program, Operation Threadstone. And they're like, oh, we, uh, we gotta go kill this guy. And for reference, the top guy at Treadstone is Conklin, played by Chris Cooper. And then there's also Abbott, who's a deputy director of the CIA and is played by Brian Cox. And also in a very, very small role as a guy who sits at a computer, Walton Goggins, everyone. A very uh, unripened Walton Goggins. He doesn't have his 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 hide isn't tanned yet. He doesn't he hasn't got the wear and tear on his voice. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, not actually back at the ranch, (laughs) Jason goes to the American embassy with his U.S. passport uh, that says he's Jason Bourne, which he got out of the safety deposit box. And he's followed and there's a big fight where he, you know, much like how he remembers how to read, remembers how to beat the shit out of guys who are coming after him. Mm. Uh, So he escapes and he meets this German woman, Marie, and he says to her, I'll give you $20,000 if you drive me to Paris. And she's like, what the fuck is your problem? <laughs> but then goes, okay, grad, because it's, it's $20,000. And he like 
holds and it she up just lost she just got evicted because she overstayed in a house while trying to get a, a visa or a green card or something yeah she's trying to get to america and she can't get in and he he but he holds up the money so you know that like he actually has some money and he's not insane i mean he might be insane but he's got money <laughs> <laughs> so she takes him to paris which, based on like papers and stuff in the safety deposit box, he has an address there. So they go to his apartment, and when they're in the apartment, Jason calls a hotel and asks about the various aliases from all the passports. And the hotel, cause this is very pre-GDPR, the hotel <laughs> uh, just tell him that a John Michael Caine was staying there but died two weeks prior. Then a guy arrives at the apartment to kill them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And Jason fights him and tries to get information out of him, but he, I believe, jumps to his death rather than talk. Is that yeah. right? Marie starts like shouting at him, and Jason steps like steps away to push hold Marie yeah. back, and then he just flings himself out of a five story window. And uh, Jason and Marie go through the guy's stuff, and they find wanted posters of the two of them, which is like, uh oh. And then meanwhile, again, there's this Nigerian politician called Wambosi who there was an an attempt on his life and he's really fucked up about it and the CIA are trying to like keep him quiet and they show him the body of John Michael Caine and Wombosi is like hmm I don't know (laughs) (laughs) so the CIA murder him classic classic then Jason I I can't fully remember the exact sequence of events but he finds out about the original assassination attempt on Wombosi and it becomes clear that it was him who attempted the assassination yeah. because it was like on a boat and the guy got shot in the back. Um, and it was like on a boat around where Jason was found floating. Like he didn't, yeah, not he just didn't drift that it. far. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty easy to add two and two together. Yeah. So Jason and Marie go to the home of a friend of hers in the country to hide out. And then the friend and his kid arrive, and it's like, oh no. And then, classic, a guy shows up to try and kill Jason, and Jason kills him. And before he dies, he reveals that he and Jason were both part of something called Threadstone. And he mentions they both get headaches, but he dies before he can, you know, explain what what Threadstone is. So Jason sends Marie, her friend, and her friend's kids away for their safety, and then he calls Conklin and arranges to meet him in Paris. And even though Jason said to come alone, Conklin does not come alone. So Jason abandons the meeting, but he's able to track Conklin back to a place. <laughs> and Jason goes in. Conklin gives a big speech about how Jason was a CIA trained assassin. And his speech prompts Jason to remember the attempted assassination of Wombosi, which we see in flashbacks. And basically, he went onto Wombosi's yacht on assignment from Treadstone. He was about to shoot him in the back of the head and then he saw his little kid and he couldn't do it. So he turned around and ran and got shot in the back. Jason tells Conklin he's resigning from Treadstone. He fights his way out of the house. Conklin gets killed by Abbott. Like, like not directly, on, but like on, on, Abbott. on, on, on Abbott's orders. By right? another Treadstone guy, yeah. Yeah, Abbott doesn't get his hands dirty. Not this time. <laughs> And then there's a scene of Abbott giving a statement to like a Senate committee or something like that, saying Treadstone was shut down. Don't worry about it. That's that's over. Don't. It don't. was just a game theory thing. Don't don't look into it. And we've just set up a new program called Blackbriar. Hmm. And then the final scene is of Jason finding Marie in some tropical climb, selling scooters, and they 
live happily ever after. <laughs> or do they? And then Doug Lyman's name comes up and you go, what the fuck? And then Extreme Ways by Moby drops and you're like, oh yeah, Moby. Forgot about him. That's that's the most important song in the Boren series as a whole. <laughs> yeah. It's like extremely key to yeah. everything. And that's and that's some Born identity. I enjoy how you you skipped over all the stuff where where Jason is wandering around just like on streets and stuff. I mean, it's implied. No, I mean stuff like um, when he's when he first gets to Zurich and he's like sleeping on the park bench and the two cops. Yeah, and some the cops come up and are like, "Give me your papers," and he's like, "I ain't got no papers." And then when one of them lays a hand on him, that's when his killer instincts first first kick in, and he's like. Yeah. The look, uh, the look of, of of surprise on his own face is like very look, cute. Look, it's called it's called a summary, not a <laughs> thing that happens in the movie. I just, There's I also just... a bit where him and Marie go to a diner, and he talks about how he's like scoping out all the exits, and he doesn't know why. Yeah, it's because he's an assassin. He's very distressed by uh, every time he discovers like literally anything about himself. Well, it's all pretty distressing information. Yeah, like even before he finds out any information about his own, about his life or anything, he is very freaked out by the fact that he can kick two policemen to the curb in like eight seconds of screen time. And the fact that, you know, he can, he knows how long he can run at the altitude they're at, at the diner and stuff like really weird information to just be able to know instinctively in the same way that he says early on when he He's still on the boat and he ties a knot and the doctor's like, he's coming back, yes? They're, they're, they're very Russian-sounding Italians for whatever reason. Um, they're definitely Italian, though. No, no I agree. I, um, I don't know why they sound... I mean, but also, who cares? That's yeah, yeah. And, and, he, and Jason's like, no, it's not coming back. I just know how to tie this knot the same way I know how to read. Like, yeah. uh, what he knows in the same way he knows how to read is like how to be the most dangerous assassin in the world. <laughs> and that's why they have to kill him. Yeah. They think he's gone rogue. Yeah, they don't realize that he has amnesia and doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, even even at the end when Co- when he confronts Conklin and Conklin's like giving his epic villain speech, he doesn't believe that Jason can't remember. Yeah. He's literally standing across from Jason having like PTSD flashbacks. And he's like, oh, so you do remember. <laughs> uh, so what was it like watching it for the... Well, no, tell me about when you first watched it first. When I first started getting into film, what I loved was capers, heists, and thrillers. Yeah. Stuff with, stuff with if not twists, then at least turns. I loved, <laughs> you know, the Oceans trilogy, the Bourne trilogy, Catch Me If You Can, Inside Man. These are my... What's the what's the word for the first stone you lay in a building? Keystone? I don't know. Anyway, and when I was a youth, The Born Identity was my least favorite of the three Born films. Mm-hmm. I still watched them all, but I liked I think I just liked the the bigger scope of the second two. I really liked Julia Stiles' character, Nikki, and she's in 
the ultimatum in an ultimatum the most. That's I, true. And yeah, up until up until I was maybe like twelve, I basically thought Matt Damon was was the best actor in the world. And you were right. <laughs> Nowadays, I, th- I I still think Matt Damon is a really really great actor, but he's in a crypto.com ad so he's dead to me i every time i see i see that matt damon crypto ad it's like it's oh it's, oh, oh, I saw, oh i saw i saw it before jackass forever and it, i'm so glad that i had i got to watch something as uplifting as jackass forever right after being exposed to that fucking ad you're just too much of a pussy to buy crypto <laughs> yeah yeah as they peer over the edge they calm their minds steal their nerves with four simple words that have been whispered by the intrepid since the time of the Romans. We're in the money. We're in the money. Most of those films that I found really formative, I would continue. I've watched them fairly regularly the whole way through my life. I've, you know, I've seen Inside Man within the last year. I've watched the Oceans trilogy every couple of years, etc. For whatever reason... The Bourne trilogy kind of got left behind at some point, like like a toy in Toy Story, abandoned in my parents' house, and presumably eventually donated to a charity shop because I had to rebuy my DVDs. Coming back to it uh, many, many, many years later, I was shocked and delighted to find one that the Born Identity is not only much better than I remember, but in fact, the best one of them. Incorrect. Incorrect. Interesting. Okay, we've got some. We've got some <laughs> debate, but but also just like, I think there was a part of me that like thought that was worried that of of all the films that I that I really loved when I was young, these were the ones that were most likely to kind of just be not even bad, but just kind of mid popcorn trash kind of. <laughs> like, uh, remember when you were re-watching a bunch of like formative films for you before you were oh no you're gonna roast you... me now <laughs> and one of them was van helsing and it was like really weird in the context of the others which were all even ones that aren't like acclaimed are like ones that there's some people that really yeah that are really into that and i'd never heard anyone say van helsing was good and then you tried watching it and you couldn't <laughs> No, I couldn't finish it. it was, it's unwatchable dog shit. It's so bad. <laughs> I think the only I think the only reason that that one stuck with me and that I thought it might be good is because there's one really good, bit. but it's like right at the end. I didn't even watch that far. It's when <laughs> Van Helsing finds out that he might actually be the Archangel Gabriel, and <laughs> yeah, it's a weird film. And Dracula's like calls him in really dramatic fashion the right hand of God. And and that in my memory, that's I was still that 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 still sticks. But actually watching it, I was like, oh god, it's it's so bad. It's it's so bad. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> so the born identity was not that. No, the born identity was was thrilling. Um, most of it, I felt like I was watching something familiar, but with fresh eyes, and I got to like reappreciate stuff i love like i love um the bit where jason just starts going like i can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside i can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself i know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside 
and at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? The fucking Paris car chase is so good. The bit at the end when, when the motorcycle police, like Jason does the disappearing while a car passes thing with while during the car chase and the cop turns his head to go and then just like straight into a car and fucking flips over and out of the bike so good and i was reminded of how uh how deeply in love with franca patente i was as a young man <laughs> she uh she, she plays marie yeah before i fell in love with julia styles i mean julia styles is also in this but nikki is a pretty small character yeah she's like barely in it and then yeah. Com comparatively, especially. Yeah. Wh what were your expectations going in? Because this is a really famous franchise and, you know, the kind of thing that gets yeah, referenced this, all this, the time. This is an interesting role reversal episode because this is like such a super mainstream film of the kind that I normally make you watch. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> I, I expected to like it. And I knew, I mean, like, I knew that. Jason Bourne, that he has amnesia and that he was an assassin. But you know that if you, like, if you'd seen a trailer, you would know that. Yeah. So that's not, I, I didn't have a lot of, a lot of details. I don't know why I hadn't seen them, like, when I was young. Like, you were talking about, like, the Oceans movies and Catch Me If You Can, and I love those. But I just, for some reason, I never watched the Bourne movies. I, honestly, part of it might be that, especially when the sequels were coming out. If sequels didn't have numbers in them, this was like, we didn't all have the internet in our pockets at this point. If sequels didn't have numbers in them, I was not keeping track of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. so I didn't really know what was going on yeah. with that. I mean, um, the one I, I just want to say about the titles of the movies, I do like how they're in alphabetical order. Uh, so oh, that's neat. They sit nicely in a folder on my laptop <laughs> in already in watch order. That's neat. But the main thing, and this is like most of what I'm going to talk about here because <laughs> I find it really annoying, which is, so I felt watching it like it was one of those comedic 90s neo-noirs trapped inside a 2000s action movie. And that's not a hypothetical because the comedic 90s neo-noir trapped inside it is the long kiss goodnight okay <laughs> like in lieu of describing the plot i was very tempted to just say it's long kiss goodnight without the jokes <laughs> okay i've not seen the long kiss goodnight okay well in order to illustrate this a guy by the name of couch t made a really great youtube video entitled 24 reasons the born identity and the long kiss goodnight are the same movie Shout out, link in the show notes. Although, to be clear, I've not looked into this guy at all. So if he's like a murderer, please do not <laughs> hold me accountable. But yeah, Couch these Reasons, which I will now read to you, yeah. are as follows. And I will admit he does a little fudging regarding who does what, but he makes a solid case. Yeah. So one, both films are set at Christmas. Two, a person found at sea. Three, has amnesia. And four, the only clue to their identity is a key to a safety deposit box in which there is a shit ton of money and various IDs. Five, this one's kind of weak, which is basically someone recognizes the protagonist and tells the CIA they're alive. And Couch T, who, you know, I love, despite his murdering, um, <laughs> tries, 
tries to make them being framed in the shot behind bars into a thing, but it's barely a thing. But six, the top guy is like, well, now they must be killed. Seven, Brian Cox is in both films. And like Couch T doesn't play this up, but he's basically the same guy. Um, <laughs> eight, both characters use Kane as an alias. Nine, come to find out the protagonist was a CIA assassin prior to their memory loss. Ten, although they don't remember this, they have like muscle memory of weapons and hand-to-hand combat, which they use when a guy pulls a gun on them. Eleven, the protagonist is then chased to a top of a building and jumps from there into the snow. Twelve, then they hire a driver. Thirteen, this one's weak too, which is good with knives. Like, they don't know they're an assassin. I get why he's going for it, but it's not his strongest work. 14, someone tries to assassinate them, and at the end of the fight, someone flies out the building. Number 15, they go to the farm of an old friend of the woman's. 16, the protagonist has a scene in a kid's room where they, you know, show a soft hair underneath it all. 17, the woman dies and cuts her hair to throw people off their scent, but the dude doesn't. 18, the driver and the protagonist kiss. 19, in a scene involving an SUV, the protagonist basically sends the driver away because, you know, it's too dangerous and I can't drag you into this. 20, then the protagonist calls the CIA and hangs up on them. 21, the protagonist traces the CIA guys, and when they face off, the bad guy starts monologuing, classic, about how the protagonist was an assassin, yada yada. 22, then we get a flashback to the moments before they caught Amnesia, and when the assassin saw there was a kid involved in the situation, they ran off and got shot in the back, landing in the water. <laughs> 23, uh, on the audio, Couch T just says the bad guys are killed, but on screen it says human as elevator, so make of that what you will. And 24, protagonist uses the safety box deposit money to retire by the beach. Okay, I see where you're coming from. I see where <laughs> you and Catch T are coming from. That's that's interesting. Um, so there's there's a couple of ways you could interpret this information. I think my theory would be that Shane Black read the book The Born Identity and then forgot about it. Okay. But I have no idea what happens in the book The Born Identity and whether it's similar at all. So that may not be true. Okay, so I'll I haven't read The Born Identity book, but I have looked into this basically they the born identity movie takes the in the intro to it the 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 finding a guy wash in a boat saved by fishermen bullets in the back goes to zurich to get a the bank account thing that's all from the book but the book was made in was written in um or published in 1980 so it's not a cool little laser projector thing that projects <laughs> you know it's he has um a piece of film Okay. And then from there on, the Born Identity movie is very different from the the book because in the book his arch nemesis is Carlos the Jackal because <laughs> it was 1980, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it is not inconceivable to me that <laughs> Shane Black read the Born Identity, lifted the intro to it, and then. <laughs> And then Tony Gilroy writing the board identity. I don't mean to shit on Tony Gilroy. He was a perfectly, perfectly good screenwriter, but he has a little bit of a reputation for being lazy at times. And he would not <laughs> shock me if he if he lifted some stuff from the long kiss goodnight when so making it's his... a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, yeah. It's all it's a 
Everybody wins. <laughs> but the the thing about this is that, like, because the, the plot is so similar, it's it was hard for me to watch without like making comparisons. And Longest Goodnight is like just for everyone at home because you have not seen the longest goodnight um and you probably have seen the born identity so i'm like the weirdo here the longest goodnight written by shane black directed by somebody starring gina davis as matt damon (laughs) and uh and samuel jackson as uh, frank potente yeah (laughs) and uh and brian cox as brian cox and uh It came out in like the nineties, and it like it wasn't like a huge flop, but it didn't do that great. And yeah, it was in Gina Davis's downturn period. Yeah, Gina Davis is amazing in it. Like it's insane that Gina Davis was not the biggest action star in the world at any point in her career. She's so tall. <laughs> As and that's I mean. And I'm, it's not like, oh, that's all you... But, like, she's she's amazing in it. Just, like, her physicality. And, yeah, I it's probably not fair to make the comparison, but it's, it's, it's very hard not to. Yeah, yeah, I can understand. And I really like The Born Identity, but I didn't like it as much as I like Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah. Although, th- this is, like, a really weird thing, but they're kind of both about the war on terror while not being about the war on terror that that's that's so the case with the born identity but i didn't know that about the long kiss good night especially since the and war on terror spo- hadn't started at that spoilers point. for the long kiss good night the cia's big plan in that movie is no joke to do 9-11 oh my god yeah that's that's really something so that they can do a war on terror wow i think that's a good a good point to pivot to the 9-11 of it all when it comes yes. to the Born Identity. So it's 2002. When the Born Identity is released. Yes. But it has already been pushed back from its original release date because the Born Identity was act- actually had a really troubled production. Um, director Doug Lyman, uh, before he did the Born Identity, he'd done uh, Swingers, written by... Which was not directed by John Favreau, apparently. <laughs> no, written by John Favreau. And uh, co-starring Favreau and Vince Vaughn, one of the the you know, it's a '90s slacker comedy type thing. It's you know, you get it. You you know what I mean. Yes. And and then he made Go, which I guess is a kind of. It's one of those '90s movies about yeah. characters. Yeah. And from the outside, especially looking back from now, you might think, oh, indie director has two hits, goes straight, goes into studio filmmaking, loses his soul. Not the case. Doug Lyman had loved the book since he read it when he was young, and he like really campaigned to get the film made, uh, which was hard because it involved like transferring rights from Warner Brothers to Universal that possibly neither of them actually were legally entitled to. I am not going to <laughs> to comment because of um, I, I as far as I know, there remains ongoing litigation, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not. They made five films. How is this not settled? I am not legally knowledgeable enough to 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 comment further. But um, <laughs> yeah, the Born Identity was surprisingly perhaps a passion project for Doug Lyman, and Matt Damon was actually really reluctant to 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 do it initially because 
getting like because he just he did goodwill hunting and he had a couple of films that didn't do that well but he'd also been in like you know the talented mr ripley and stuff he was on the rise and he was worried about because about being one of those people who starts off as a really good actor and then gets derailed into doing action movies for the rest of their <laughs> life but talking to doug lyman and to screenwriter tony gilroy he 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 got really interested in the project because the born identity doesn't actually is not a particularly action-driven movie as far as like this type of movie goes there's a yeah the, I, and, and 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 a lot of the action is really really I, fast it's more of a thriller like i mean obviously something could be action. one of the problems of genre of course is that the thriller describes like what the plot is like and action describes how the story is told i guess yeah but it's much more a thriller than than like an action especially for the 2000s yeah i feel like action movies were much more big and it was specifically like not being an action driven thing but being like something more in the lines of like i don't think i i I don't feel like i've seen enough like 70s paranoia thrillers to say how similar the born identity really is in terms of influence and stuff but it's certainly like conceptually drawing more on that heritage than say recent action films of the time yeah i thought a lot about especially in the sequels i thought a lot about 70s like conspiracy thrillers Mm. it's definitely definitely a big influence on the series as a whole once they got going I would like to say I, I, I there was a trouble of production that I'm going to cover in some detail, but a combination of shoddy reporting and lots of dead links made it actually quite hard to research. So I'm going to just give my, my, my best attempt at, at summarizing everything that happened. The main conflict was, I'm going to blow your mind here, with the studio, <laughs> uh, Universal Pictures, who... The best way I can sum up what they wanted out of the Born Identity the whole way through making it was we want it to be dumber, sexier, and more action-driven. Complete, like, like Lyman came from indies, and he, unlike a lot of people who come from indies and go into studio filmmaking now, he was not willing to, to, to listen to what the studio had to say. There was literally an incident where he forgot to pick up a shot, told the producer, the producer was like, you can't do the fucking shot. Lyman said, you call the studio now and I'm getting permission to do that shot. Call the studio. The studio was like, he can't get the shot. And Lyman just picked up the camera and did the shot anyway. <laughs> there were there was constant conflict between the, him and the studio. Damon always backed Lyman and basically used his leverage to... Is the reason why the Born Identity isn't dumber, sexier, and more action-driven. Um, thanks, Matt. There is... <laughs> Reportedly Universal, especially with the ending of the film, was they wanted a big action climax. Uh, they, they kept telling him to shoot more like Tony Scott, to which he responded, <laughs> you should have hired Tony Scott. <laughs> the film did go through four rounds of reshoots, and the, um, the, the, the final like action scene, the stairwell fight scene with the, the CIA goons, during which yeah. Jason rides a dead body <laughs> down through the air, Human as elevator. That's what he meant. Yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. Okay, the way, I got he, it. he shoots another guy in the head. Yeah. That was that was the compromise that that Lyman was willing to make. <laughs> Lyman and Gilroy were willing to make on on a big action driven finale. <laughs> a lot of people. So the, originally, the film was supposed to come out on uh, September seventh, two thousand one. Uh oh. And uh, but it it's oh it, well, it's a good thing it got because that's before. Yes, wow, crazy. It, it, it came out eventually in June 2020, 
or June 2020, June 2002. It, it came out in the middle of the pandemic in June <laughs> And there were four rounds of reshoots before the release. And a lot of people assume that reshoots during that time included changes in light of 9-11 to soften the film's portrayal of the CIA. And you will see that claim asserted as fact uh, in lots of articles. Yeah, usually, I saw that when I was reading about it. Usually without a source. And in at least one case that I found while linking to a source that said the exact opposite. Uh, <laughs> because all the articles I could find that went into any like actual detail on the reshoots, they all agree that during the reshoots, material to make the CIA seem less evil was shot and Lyman and Damon successfully kept it out of the film. Okay. Interesting. And, and they particularly fought for the ending where Treadstone is shut down and then <laughs> Brian Cox is literally handed a folder with Treadstone 2 and just goes, and now we're on to Operation Blackbird. <laughs> they really fought to keep that. that I'm glad. You've no, to, the impression that the CIA wrapped it up, they, wouldn't, they would not abide. <laughs> I'm going to blow your mind and, and, and let you know that in his personal life, Doug Lyman, pretty, pretty critical of American foreign, foreign policy. Thanks, Doug. To be clear, I don't I, I, I don't want to place a hundred percent of the blame for the difficult production on Universal, just all the moral blame. Uh, yeah. Doug, Doug Lyman is such a chaotic director um, that even people who've had a good time working with him refer to his shooting style as Lymania. He's known for like <laughs> finding the film while he's making it. And uh, like Tony Gilroy ha- was constantly faxing new pages because Lyman was chopping and changing scenes on the fly. Uh, even before that happened, there seems to have been a huge personality clash between Doug Lyman and Tony Gilroy to the extent I don't really understand why they made a movie together. <laughs> like, they talked shit about each each other in public afterwards. As far as I could tell from doing as much research as I was able to on this broken piece of shit internet we live on now, where all the search engines have had so much algorithmic tweaks and shit applied to them that they don't actually provide you with information. <laughs> as far as I can tell, nothing uh, was done to soften the film's portrayal of the CIA. I certainly didn't ex- experience it as being a particularly soft portrayal of the CIA, especially for a film released less than a year after 9-11. Yeah, because I, I read that it softened the portrayal of the CIA in live 9-11, and, and I was like, shit, what was it like before? <laughs> yeah. He must have gone hard as <laughs> motherfucker. CIA not cool. That's my review. No, the CIA... Like the the CIA is the arch villain of the series, and not just not just Conklin and Abbott, not just the the, the institution of the CIA. Yeah. yeah, as well as obviously being like direct antagonist to Jason because they're trying to fucking kill him. <laughs> I I really like um, they do this. It's more it's it's arguably more subtle in the Born Identity. I don't think that's a chicken move. I just say it's written, but there there's there's a lot of allusions just in, in dialogue to how fucked up the CIA is. Like when they're um, early on, there's a briefing about Wambosi because he's threatening to write a tell-all book about the CIA's operations in North Africa as leverage to try and get the CIA to help him put him back in power. He's the former dictator of Nigeria. They, they just deposed him, didn't they? Or did they? They hadn't just but- recently deposed him. They had... it. The, I, I, there's a particular line I want to read from the briefing okay. on Wambosi. He was an irritation before he took power. He was a problem when he was in power, and he's been a disaster for us in exile. And I cannot interpret that line in any other way than to mean the CIA backed him when he was seeking power, yeah. in power, and they deposed him. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. 
definitely. The the the, the thing about nine eleven. <laughs> no, genuinely. Yeah. Um, so like, in the immediate period after nine eleven, there was a real, a, a near universal like American fervor of like non criticism of any kind. Mm-hmm. Like. Just as an example, like a shit ton of radio stations in America banned this whole list of songs that were too critical of America to play. Yeah. And 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 that was part of what enabled Bush to start doing war crimes and torturing people mm-hmm. because he was kind of wrapped in this security blanket of saving American lives, which mm-hmm. will come up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the the subsequent Bourne films, especially Ultimatum, are very directly about that. Mm. But they also are made in a different context. And the fact that the Bourne identity came out within a year of 9-11 is really interesting because it was still during the period of like total non-criticism of any yeah. kind. And I don't mean criticism even of like just criticism of anything even to do with America at that point and it's like drawing like obviously it's fictional and obviously it's not directly about the war on terror because it hadn't happened yet yeah but it's very much drawing on a real history of stuff (laughs) the U.S. government has done Mm -hmm. you've actually um referenced that scene i flagged earlier that i wanted to ask you about a couple times so for the rest of the film like i was saying it felt like watching something familiar with new eyes but there is this one scene and i when i was watching it especially at a particular moment i felt like exactly the same way i felt when i watched (laughs) it for the first time because that one bit has like everything else in the whole series you know slipped away i can remember it sometimes i can't but i've it's the scene when jason confronts i believe the character is referred to maybe in the credits or maybe just in marketing material, but he's the professor, Clive Owen's character, the last, yeah. the assassin who who comes to the farmhouse. And, and incidentally, I want to say, the farmhouse sequence was the biggest thing Universal wanted to get rid of. And they what? go fuck themselves. What? Yeah. Like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's what they wanted to get rid of. Cool. And Clive Owen, you know, as he's bleeding out from the wounds, Jason clips him like once in the chest and shoots a gun out of his hand and his hand's a complete fucking mess. And, he gives this little speech as he's dying, which I will clip here. I work alone like you. We always work alone. Who me? Who are you, Rome? Paris? Treadstone. Both of us. Treadstone? Which one? Paris. I live in Paris. Do you get the headaches? Yeah. I get such bad headaches. You know, at night when you drive in a car. I don't know, maybe it's something to do with the headlines. What is Treadstone? Treadstone said pills. They said, go to Paris. Is Treadstone in Paris? Look at this. Look at what they make you give. And the line that always stuck with me and which I'd forgotten is repeated at the end of the Bourne Ultimatum is... The professor looks down his hands and says, look at this. Look at what they make you give. Yes. 
and I I genuinely like I feel like I know the answer, but I genuinely like felt my all my critical faculties melt away during this bit. So I just want to check. That is like awesome, right? That bit yeah. is okay. When when that line comes back up in in Born Ultimatum, I was like really moved. Yeah. Yeah. Because the thing is, sure, Jason killing all those people, not cool, right? Mm, agreed. But but perhaps a world that makes a man who clearly has a heart as good as Jason's. Not that it would matter if he didn't, but like just yeah. that to so go against that goodness in his nature is, I don't know, I can't describe it. Like, like killing a person is so horrific. And obviously it's horrific for the person who dies, but to, to kill someone is just like annihilating your own soul it's it's mm. it's and and i feel like the born movies have a real sense of like that which is especially interesting for for action movies from the 2000s mm-hmm. that a sense that that killing it, it it is it how it wounds the killer yeah yeah which is not an idea that people like to think about that much no because bad guys are bad uh yeah but but also they have souls that i would like not to be mutilated yeah hey kira this is dean uh i just wanted to give you a quick call to let you know that i'm nearly done editing the born episode but i have like almost two hours of uh supremacy and ultimatum discussion left over and i was thinking that i would edit them into a bonus episode and drop that in about two weeks let me know what you think I haven't really figured out how to smoothly transition from being in the middle of a conversation to the outro yet, but... Kira. Dean, why do we always do that? It's so stupid. I don't know. <laughs> it works. It, it, it's Honestly, it's helpful in editing. That's not why, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are you glad you watched The Born Identity and peripherally <laughs> Supremacy and Ultimatum, but mainly the first one? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm not like... I wasn't like, holy fuck. I love the Bourne identity, but you know, it was grand like, Yeah, <laughs> and it does feel like a, a nice, uh, gap to plug mm. in my, in my brain space. Cause it's weird that I hadn't, seen <laughs> you know, like it's weird. It's, yeah. it's, it, I don't know what to do with that. And as I have said ad nauseum, it's not as good as long as good night, <laughs> but you know what else isn't as good as Long Kiss Goodnight? Like most films. Yeah. So I I forgive it. And it's very good. It's very good. I liked it. And I'm really glad I watched the sequels because I wasn't sure if I was going to. Mm. Just because, you know, when you have to watch a film on a deadline because e.g. you're recording a podcast episode mm. about it. And so you're like, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Yeah. I'm going to put that off. But then... I did watch them, and I was like, these are great. Especially Ultimatum. I loved Ultimatum. So, overall, yeah, sure. I um, initially planned to watch not just the trilogy, but the two sequels, and even had ambitions, if I got the two sequels done in a timely fashion, of watching the pilot of the already cancelled Amazon Prime series, <laughs> Treadstone. But what? I didn't know about this. Yeah, and it's, it was cancelled after me. one season. Of course. Is it just set in Treadstone? And no Jason Bourne in it? It definitely doesn't have Jason Bourne in it. You think 
You, you, not, not a hope. You know, I always thought that uh, Matt Damon was like a Streisand, but I think that he's rocking the shit in this one. Shut yeah. up, Dave! Next episode, I'm going to make Dean watch a super mainstream film that everyone's seen. Yeah. In, in a return to our regular scheduled programming, which is widely considered one of the greatest of all time, correctly. It's a film that was made because... The studio, I believe MGM, must be MGM, own the rights to a bunch of random songs. <laughs> and that movie is Singing in the Rain, starring Gene Kelly, directed by Gene Kelly and Stanley Donnan, also starring Debbie Reynolds, and fuck, will you check what It's the Donald O'Connor. Of course it is. Even I knew that. I just forgot, I had a brain fart. Yeah, Singing in the Rain, I've probably mentioned this on the pod before, but for a very long time, a running joke between us was that the first thing I did every morning when I woke up was decide to not watch Citizen Kane that day. <laughs> and then I watched Citizen Kane, and then every day I woke up and decided not to watch Singing in the Rain. <laughs> it's the new film I'm out that it's most ridiculous I haven't, I haven't seen, given who I am. You, you're going to like it. And if you don't, I will beat the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good to know. Good to know. I mean, I love a musical. Until next time, I'm Dean Buckley. I'm Kara Maloney. The song was Boostag by Alexander Nakarada. And this was the Sunday Presented. And happy birthday to Wes Anderson. I'll figure Wait. Sorry, there's someone there's someone up ahead. Is that Oh shit. I'm sorry, Mr. Damon. I didn't mean to make fun of your crypto ads. Please don't